It's hard not to add a side of hot, crispy hash browns to your favorite McDonald's breakfast. It's even harder not to eat said hash browns before you get home. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. The war in Ukraine has highlighted a growing arsenal of commercially run intelligence capabilities operating in space. Satellite imagery may get the most attention as companies like Maxar and Planet Labs capture and release pictures of Russia's invasion in near real time. But others are collecting data in new and effective ways as well. Um, with geopolitical volatility on the rise, it, it certainly drives demand for better situational awareness in places like Ukraine, but uh, worldwide as, as well. There's uh, lots of different places in which having high quality geospatial intelligence is, is a critical uh, thing for our customers. Startup Hawkeye 360 specializes in space-based radio frequency data collecting, mapping, and analyzing the radio waves that are invisible to the naked eye but emit a type of electromagnetic radiation associated with functions like navigation, communication, and operation. Run by CEO John Serafini, Hawkeye 360's satellites are the first commercial constellation to collect and sell this RF intel. On this episode, we dive into the tech, the impact from Russia, and the space industry initiative Serafini has spearheaded to raise humanitarian aid for Ukrainians. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. So I think let's start at the beginning. Let's start a little bit with what Hawkeye 360 specifically does. Sure. So uh, we build a, a constellation of small satellites that uh, operate in low Earth orbit. They're very unique in that they fly in clusters of three. Um, and the purpose of them is to detect, geolocate, uh, process, and analyze RF data, essentially signals above a watt in power between 140 megahertz and 18 gigahertz. We can detect from space, we can analyze them, and eventually convert that into actionable insights uh, offered to our customers as a service. So when you say RF data, we're talking about radio frequency data from space specifically. Yep. How quickly can you convert that into actionable data? Very fast. Um, some of the processing is done on the satellite itself. A lot of the data is, is also shipped down to, uh, uh, to our processing sites on Earth and, and analyzed and converted into, into insights. In some cases, it's a matter of minutes. In some cases, it's a matter of hours. It really depends upon the signal and, and the orbitology of the satellite when it, when it collected the data. Um, <clears throat> we hear a lot about imagery, especially now in, in, in light of what's going on in Eastern Europe and the conflict there. We hear a lot about the imagery that's being beamed down from space and all of that data. But what, are what, is, what is radio frequency-based data enable that images don't? Right. So RF is, uh, is a signal. Um, it's uh, indicative of human behavior, um, human activity. Um, and when you can see a signal from, from, from low Earth orbit space, uh, it's likely indicative of the fact that there is some kind of human activity at that location. In our case, we can detect things like L-band communication devices, uh, X-band radar, S-band radar, push-to-talk radio systems, uh, emergency uh, beacons, et cetera. Um, and then we're able to geolocate that, uh, that signal down to uh, a pretty excellent uh, uh, geolocation accuracy and start to extract intelligence about the, the emitter itself. Do you see a lot of demand for your product right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, with geopolitical volatility on the rise, it, it certainly uh, drives demand for better situational awareness in places like 
Ukraine, but uh, worldwide as, as well. There's uh, lots of different places in which having high quality geospatial intelligence is, is a critical uh, thing for our customers. How big is the addressable market for something like this? And I guess, what does that split look like, not only right now, but over the longer term between government customers and private or commercial customers? Yeah. Well, we think of ourselves long-term as being a third uh, government, a third international, a third commercial. Today, the preponderance of our work is supporting governments, uh, defense, intelligence, security. Um, our addressable market uh, is, is segmented into a, a bunch of different areas. And so we have to take a snapshot of a couple of different traditional government uh, budget buckets. But when you add them all up, we're very confident it's well in excess of $10 billion a year supporting uh, government customers uh, internationally and domestically. Uh, and that's been um, you know, a key area of focus for us. Uh, is expanding that TAM and showcasing what we can do to our customers uh, in the increasing amount of, of functionality of our satellites and our processing on the ground. So give me some, I guess, give me some real life examples of how this data um, is being used and analyzed right now. Maritime analytics, for example, I know is a big area. Yeah, certainly. So when a vessel turns off its AIS signal, AIS is the, the automatic identification system that, that allows vessels to be tracked. Um, uh, when a vessel turns off its AIS, it's effectively gone dark to law enforcement, to, to other navies, to Coast Guard, to other vessels. Um, and many times when that vessel has gone dark, it's, it's conducting some kind of illicit activity, be it illegal fishing or human smuggling or drug trafficking, et cetera. Uh, we can detect the vessel by virtue of the other signals that are being emitted, um, X-band radar and push-to-talk radio systems, et cetera. And allows us to still detect that vessel and, and start to analyze its activities um, and provide that information to intermediary authorities or interdiction authorities who can who can go perform the interdiction. Hmm. Um, so then I would imagine just from like a geopolitical standpoint, especially when you start to think about sanctions that are put in place and um, I guess adversaries on the world stage, uh, you know, the U.S., this is, again, this goes back to this idea of increasing demand for your product. That's correct. Uh, we are a young company, only about five years old, uh, raised a significant amount of capital, 300 plus million dollars. So we have the, the money to build the constellation. We're optimizing around a 20 cluster uh, satellite or 20 cluster or, or 60 satellites in our constellation. Uh, and we should be there within the next three years or so. And that's an enormous amount of data that can be collected and provide to customers. Well, that's kind of step one is making sure that we have this unique data source that hasn't been available previously. Step two is being uh, ensure that we have the core competencies and the processing and the data analytics to be able to convert that into actionable insights. And so the, the more capacity we have on orbit, the better our core competencies and RF processing and data science, the better the output, the larger the market is going to grow um, for our capabilities. So it's really data as a service, space-based data as a service. It's kind of the way to think about that. Yeah, exactly. And we're very fortunate to come follow the footsteps of you know, great companies in the electro-optical imaging and synthetic aperture radar imaging who've made this possible, this concept of selling commercial uh, intelligence as a service. We call it RF GeoInt in our case. Uh, but because of companies like uh, Digital Globe, now Maxar, uh, and others that have come before us, it's possible for us to realize this goal of 
selling commercial data as a service, data analytics as a service to, to customers worldwide. Yeah, I mean, we've seen such a flurry of companies operating in this broader uh, piece of the space sector, if you will. I wonder what you think of the competitive landscape. I wonder if you think consolidation is inevitable, especially as customers potentially want more data from more sources, um, whether it is radio frequency or whether it is some of the other options out there. Well, you touch on what I think is an important point, uh, and that is customers don't just want one modality or RF or electro-optical or synthetic aperture radar or hyperspectral or open source. Ultimately, they want a platform that's going to orchestrate the collection of these multiple modalities and fuse them together into a data analytic that they can ingest as a service. As we talked about, ultimately, what we're talking is, is software as a service. Um, uh, and so that's where the market is moving. And uh, we certainly spent a lot of time focused on uh, collaboration with other space-based commercial companies on orbit and co the collection of our, of our data together. Um, that's that's one key area. The second key area, I think, is is uh, is a recognition that eventually the collection of electro-optical imagery and and RF, et cetera, is going to be commoditized, and the eventual winner are the companies that can invest in the derived products, the processing, the data science, the data fusion, uh, to be able to convert all these different pieces of information into actionable intelligence products. And that requires a significant investment in, in machine learning and artificial intelligence, data science, uh, to build those core competencies. I do, I do want to get into some of what you're seeing with your constellation as it exists now. But first, I'm just curious, the fact that it's still such a young company, it's what, five years old, you've been able to raise meaningful capital in the process uh, of building out the company too. How did you decide to create Hawkeye 360? How did it come about? Uh, my, my career has been as a a dual use national security technology investor. Um, I spent about 10 years as a venture capitalist focused on things like uh, space and uh, wireless connectivity, robotics, uh, cybersecurity, uh, technologies that innately have government applications in the defense security and intelligence environment, but also key uh, commercial um, applications. And uh, as I spent more time in, in low earth orbit space about seven or eight years ago, and we recognized the need uh, for commercial sources of RF data. Uh, eventually it became clear that this was a great opportunity for us. Um, we spent a lot of time diligencing whether, whether the, the market would be interested in commercial RF and ultimately we came to the conclusion and the market demand that this was a good idea. And we, we went off and, and financed the company about five or six years ago uh, when I was at uh, my venture capital firm at the time. And, Eventually, a year or two later, I decided to leave the venture capital world in order to run the company full time. And that's been a, a great decision. Wow. Um, hold on one second. This is the nice thing about taping. I can cut this out when my phone starts going haywire. Okay. <clears throat> um, going back to Ukraine for a moment and just what we have seen in terms of uh, the invasion by Russia there and the fact that it has sort of shed this light on space as a warfighting domain or just in general an area of critical infrastructure and what that means from a security standpoint. What has Hawkeye 360 seen in terms of jamming and some of the other attempted issues by Russia where this infrastructure is concerned? Uh, so like many young companies in the space domain, all of our peers were eager to help, e eager to, to collect data 
using our, our on-orbit capabilities and to present that data to those who could use it. Um, we, we definitely have seen a significant amount of RF uh, or GPS interference um, jamming uh, by elements that we believe to be associated with the Russian military. And uh, it's been interesting to see how those patterns change over time as, uh, as the war has been conducted. How have they um, changed? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a note. Into it. <laughs> Is that okay? What did you say? I'm going to take a no comment. Okay. All right. Fair yeah, enough. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> but it does speak to this idea, I guess, perhaps of um, newer companies such as yourself being able to add these capabilities to intelligence gathering and not to mention um, shining a light on this idea of open source intelligence too. Yeah, I think this is a, an interesting change in, in the way in which wars are being fought, or at least wars are being watched. Uh, previous to the conflict in Ukraine, there there wasn't the availability of all this commercial imagery or RF data or hyperspectral data um, out there in the public domain. Um, and uh, it provides media outlets and, and the public with a unique insight that didn't exist in, in prior, prior conflicts. So you basically saw some increased jamming opportunity, uh, jamming uh, attempts, and that has shifted and evolved over the course of this conflict as it's played out on the ground. But can't get into the details. It sounds like maybe some of that's classified. It's it's not classified. Okay. I, I okay. It wouldn't be appropriate for me to get into it. Okay. All right. Um, so one of the other things you've been very busy doing uh, has been raising humanitarian aid and funding from across the space industry. You know, yourself and Hawkeye have really spearheaded this uh, for the efforts in Ukraine. Talk me through that. Sure. Uh, well, I had the, the opportunity to visit the uh, Polish-Ukrainian uh, border a couple of weeks ago on a humanitarian basis, uh, supporting uh, some work that a uh, West Point classmate of mine and I were doing. Um, and when we were there, we, we recognized the dichotomy of an interesting situation. Here you have the tragedy of, of the refugee situation coming across the border with very little but things on their back. Um, but at the same time, it was inspirational to see the NGO outreach and the work that the NGO community was doing to receive these refugees and to help them. Uh, we met with a number of different international NGOs with phenomenal projects, all teed up, uh, shovel ready to say, and they just needed capital. Um, and we came back uh, inspired and wanting to, to raise money to be able to support this work, all on a humanitarian basis, uh, supporting the refugee community in Ukraine and in Poland. And uh, we propositioned the, the small satellite community, or sorry, the, the, the space community, um, and uh, the response has been phenomenal. 22 companies uh, have raised nearly a million dollars in just about a, two weeks worth of outreach. And that capital is now being pooled and, and deployed into the shovel-ready humanitarian projects. Things like uh, bringing food and medical equipment supplies into Ukraine to treat refugees, uh, being able to, to provide for the, the housing and critical supplies of, of refugees in Poland and other places outside of the Ukraine, helping to evacuate Ukrainian refugees, um, evacuees who are in positions where they can't evacuate themselves, particularly in eastern Ukraine. And so this, is, this has been some inspiring work uh, that I've, I've had the great fortune to be involved with and I'm very appreciative that the space community has, uh, has been as generous as it has been.
And that uh, those outreach efforts are continuing. Are more companies coming on board as as it gains traction? Absolutely, we've been very fortunate. Um, a number of great space companies have indicated an interest in in funding, um, and uh, and we'll continue to to increase the amount of money and increase the amount of contributions that we can deploy out. Mm. Um, so just turning back towards, I guess, Hawkeye's operations on on, on a day to day basis, uh, as you mentioned, the deployment of this constellation. Um, how have you decided who to work with when it comes to the space industry, when it comes to the launch industry? How have you decided who to work with and how um, and how have you determined how quickly you can get these satellites to orbit? Yeah, uh, we have a, a strong mission first DNA at Hawkeye. Um, ensuring that we can support our customers is our paramount value. Uh, and so we need a similar DNA from those in our supply chain. Uh, particularly our, our launch providers and and the the partners who build our spacecraft alongside of us, uh, and so for us working with SpaceX has always made sense. They they share our culture, they share our DNA, um, and uh, quite simply they've been exceptional with the timeliness and the affordability of the launches that they provide to our first four clusters. Uh, moving forward, we'll continue to use SpaceX, but we're also uh, integrating launches from Rocket Lab. Uh, we recently announced a five-cluster uh, launch deal with Rocket Lab uh, to include launches on the East Coast in, in Virginia. So we're exceptionally excited to be working with them long-term. Um, and then also, we're building our own manufacturing capacity at Hawkeye's offices to be able to manufacture our own satellites. Today, we, we build the, uh, the payload, but soon we'll be building and integrating the payload into the bus and preparing those satellites eventually for launch with, with our partners. That was actually my next question for you was whether you're going to bring that manufacturing in-house. Um, and if so, I mean, there's so much focus on the fact that launch costs have been dropping in large part because of SpaceX over the years. Um, but just the fact that the manufacturing of satellites and spacecraft in general has been launching dramatically too. Uh, I would imagine you've run the numbers to be bringing it in-house. Well, we've stood on the shoulders of giants mm. and this company wouldn't exist uh, 15 years before because there wasn't the small satellite manufacturing capacity at the time. Uh, but yet, uh, as the, the small satellite industry matured, we were able to find great partners who can build our satellites at relatively fast speeds and at relatively good prices. Uh, ultimately, we came to the conclusion about a year ago that we should in-house this uh, to be able to, to control the quality, control the timeline, control the cost, and ensure that we can uh, meet our launch schedule for putting additional capacity on orbit. And, and that's where we're moving towards. It'll be a hybrid of having a, a manufacturing line with one of our partners and a manufacturing line uh, in Herndon in our offices. And we think that the combination of that will maximize and accelerate getting uh, high quality RF collection on orbit as soon as possible. So talk to me about, I guess, the longer term vision for this company. Uh, how do you see it growing? How do you see it evolving? What does it mean for you? What does it mean for Hawkeye? Sure. Um, well, we're, we're growing in three main areas. One is we have to maximize the collection capacity as soon as possible. And, and for us, that's getting to 20 clusters. And those 20 clusters are fully financed. Uh, they should be up in the next two and a half or to three years. Um, and that's an enormous amount of RF data with a very good revisit rate down around 10 to 12 minutes anywhere on Earth once we're at 20 clusters. So that's step one. Step two is we have to invest in the data science to be able to 
convert all of that enormous amount of RF data into actionable insights. And that, that means building out our, our machine learning and artificial intelligence capabilities and being able to, uh, to do that at very low amounts of latency so that the data that we, that we collect and process and analyze and eventually spit out as a product to our customers arrives in a timely manner. That's two. The third is recognizing that the, the ultimate winner of the remote sensing ecosystem is the company that can fuse together multiple different modalities at, at speed. Um, we've been investing in data fusion and orchestrating the collection of RRF data with other modalities like electro-optical and synthetic, synthetic aperture radar data, uh, and then combining that into one platform that can be delivered to the customer. So that's the third area in which we anticipate scaling over the course of the next two years or so. Mm -hmm. um, the commercial piece of the puzzle, when we talk about business and, and growing the customer book, what are some of the ways that perhaps we haven't even seen applied yet where RF data is concerned? Certainly there's a lot of need in detecting interference. And we saw this today with, uh, with Russian interference of GPS capabilities, uh, but we also see that around civilian airports, um, uh, not hmm. necessarily by the Russians, but by other emitters. Um, and that's a cause of concern and can interfere with civilian infrastructure. Um, we also anticipate that there's significant new ground uh, for us to move into and around supporting commercial carriers and better understanding how spectrum is being utilized and provisioned and deployed on their networks. Um, and then additionally, we'll continue to expand our offerings in around maritime domain awareness. It's not just a challenge for, for governments, it's certainly a challenge for, for commercial entities like maritime shipping companies, cruise lines, and fishing companies, et cetera who want to ensure they understand where their assets are at any given time. Yeah, it's interesting, when I go back to 2019 before the pandemic, and I think about some of the conversations I was having with VCs and angel investors in the space sector, Hawkeye 360 was one of those names that was coming up kind of repeatedly as a potential candidate to go public. And this was before the whole SPAC craze where space companies uh, came to market in these reverse mergers. But is that, is that the plan for Hawkeye 360 to eventually come public? I think we need to see how the current crop of companies that went public in the past year, how they perform long-term. Um, you know, certainly some of those have underperformed expectations, but the, the big question is, is that about the space ecosystem fundamentals or is it about the, the SPAC vehicle itself? And we should know more in the next uh, six to 12 months or so. I think then we'll be able to, to analyze the, the possibility of whether Hawkeye should be a publicly traded company as well. For, for now, we're very fortunate in that we've raised enough capital for us to reach um, long-term profitability and to support our aggressive CapEx needs. And we don't anticipate the need for future financings, um, but it's good to know that the public markets will hopefully be there when at the appropriate time if we need. Yeah, I mean, to your point, it's just been, it's been, a, it's been a rough market, especially since just the start of this year or really last fall where some of these space companies that have gone public are concerned and it's, broad-based in terms of some of the losses, but you know, and of course we've seen that really across the board where tech and um, mm -hmm. some of these new capabilities are concerned. So does that mean Hawkeye's already profitable? No, I wouldn't, I wouldn't okay. say that. Okay. Uh, we're on a pathway to profitability in the very near future. Um, and <laughs> we have an excellent revenue ramp. We've doubled in size for the past three years and I anticipate continuing on that, that trend line for the future. So, 
What is your vision of the space industry and this emerging commercial space economy, if you will, uh, and how it continues to grow and evolve, both in terms of what Hawkeye specifically is doing, but also just the ecosystem in general? Where do you see it going? Well, as alluded to earlier, I don't think the ultimate winner in, in remote sensing is the company that does one thing well, like Electro-Optical or, or SAR or, or, or RF. The, the winner, the company that, that scales and produces the most value for customers is the company that figures out how to orchestrate the collection of multiple different modalities together. Um, and then to bring that down to one platform and perform excellent data science on it to extract real information of value to the customer. And that's where I'd like to take Hawkeye long-term uh, as an RF geospatial first company, but one that understands how to integrate and orchestrate with other modalities at, at low levels of latency. If we're able to do that, I think it creates uh, enormous uh, value for our customers. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. Have you ever spotted McDonald's hot, crispy fries right as they're being scooped into the carton? And time just stands still. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.